Chapter Twenty One of Three People by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One Midnight Work. Tingalingling, said Mr. Stevens's doorbell just before midnight. Mr. Stevens glanced up in surprise from the paper which he was studying and hesitated a moment. Who could be ringing his bell at that late hour? Presently he stepped out into the hall slipped the bolt and admitted theodore mallory the young man followed his employer into the brightly lighted library it was the same room with the same furnishings that it had worn that evening when he a forlorn trembling boy had made his first call and at midnight on mr stevens what unearthly business brought you out at this hour said the wondering mr stevens premonitions of evil answered theodore laughing do you believe in them and he glanced about the familiar room and dropped himself into the great armchair where he remembered to have seated himself once at least before what is the matter with this room he asked as his eyes roved over the surroundings something looks different i have been having a general cleaning out and turning around of furniture since you were in moved the books and rubbish out of that corner closet for one thing and prepared it for those closed ledgers good place don't you think has it strong locks asked theodore glancing around to the closet in question splendid ones and is built fireproof theodore took in both the lock and the fact that the key was in it an excellent place for them he answered is there anything in it now no empty what brought you here mallory i hope you have no more work for me to do to-night i was just thinking of my bed a very little sir i have those papers ready for your signature and it occurred to me if you could add that to-night i could get them off by the early mail what an indefatigable plotter you are to get those papers ready so soon and an unmerciful man besides to make me go over them to-night what will ten or a dozen hours signify i don't know answered theodore gravely great results have arisen from more trivial delays than ten or a dozen hours then he looked straight before him apparently at the mirror but really at the closet door it was closed when he looked before it was very slightly ajar now wind no there was no wind within reach it was a surly november night and doors and windows were tightly closed then there's really no escape for me yawned mr stevens in an inquiring tone none whatever answered theodore playfully it won't take you half an hour sir and you know it is a very important matter involving not only ourselves but others true said mr stevens more gravely well pass them along and while theodore obeyed the order and appeared engrossed in the papers he was really watching that closet door it certainly moved very slightly and noiselessly and it certainly was not the wind for the wind had no eyes and at least one very sharp eye was distinctly discernible in the mirror peering out at them from that door the owner of the eyes seemed to have forgotten the long mirror and theodore's convenient position for seeing what passed behind him 
whose eye was it and why was the possessor of it shut up in that closet theodore watched it stealthily and sharply it grew bolder and the door was pushed open a little more a very little just enough to reveal the shape of the forehead and a few curls of black hair then suspicion became certainty they belonged to the young man whom he had disliked and distrusted since the day in which he had first entered the employ of mr stevens six months before very strange and just a little unreasonable had seemed his distrust mr stevens had tried sober argument and good-humoured raillery by turns to convince his confidential clerk that he was prejudiced all to no purpose theodore could give no tangible reasons for his unwavering opinion but his early living by his wits among all sorts of people had so sharpened his ideas that he felt almost hopelessly certain that a villain was being harboured among them now while he tried to answer coherently mr stevens's questions he was thinking hard and nervously what was to be done what was the man's object in hiding at midnight in his employer's house was mr stevens's life in danger was the man a murderer or simply a thief what did he know of their private affairs what had mr stevens in his house that proved a special temptation how should he get all these questions answered his hot blood surged to his very temples as he remembered mr stevens's departure from the store that very afternoon with twenty thousand dollars for deposit what if for some reason the deposit had not been made and was still in mr stevens's possession in this very room perhaps he remembered with a shiver that the young man in question was in the private office during the making up of the money package and that mr stevens talked freely before him that they had gone out together that mr stevens had directed his clerk to walk down to the bank with him while he gave certain orders for the next day's business should he risk a bold question and so discover the truth in regard to the deposit and perhaps at the same time discover to the thief its present whereabouts he saw no other way and feeling that he had little time to lose plunged into the question by the way mr stevens was the deposit all right mr stevens glanced up quickly what possessed you to ask that troublesome question he said laughingly natural curiosity sir were you in time i am almost afraid to answer you said mr stevens still laughing lest you will put me under lock and key at once as a person suspected of insanity if i must confess though i stopped with winters ten minutes to introduce him to the new librarian at the reading-room and thereby just lost my chance at the bank theodore promptly controlled the shiver that ran through his frame winters in the closet there probably knew the facts and all others connected with the money as well as mr stevens did he spoke in his usual tone what did you do with the money sir it was not in the safe when i closed it for the night that i suppose is the very wickedest of all my wicked deeds i was too thoroughly tired besides being too hurried to tramp back to the store i came near entrusting the bundle to winters to take back but i had respect for your ugly prejudices and concluded to make a safe of my own house for one night 
for an instant theodore hesitated should he risk the possibility of giving the inmate of the closet the information which he did not already possess by asking what had been done with the money his precaution was in vain mr stevens continued his confession i've locked it up though double locked it indeed over in that iron box and put the key belonging to the box on the shelf in that closet and locked them up shall i bury that key in the cellar now now indeed theodore's face paled could anything be more fearfully arranged he asked but one more question where is the key now here in my pocket and i declare i'll deliver it over to you for safe keeping i shall feel ten degrees less wicked theodore reached out his hand mechanically for the key and turned it over in cold fingers then a skeleton key had been used for there was the key in the lock at this moment winters must have been startled into his retreat by some sudden noise and have forgotten to remove the evidence of his perfidy rapidly were several schemes turned over in his mind should he walk over that way and attempt to lock the closet no for then in view of all the conversation that had just occurred winters was sharp enough to know that he had been discovered and desperate enough theodore believed to do anything there was room enough in the closet for two or indeed three men and perhaps the villain had accomplices could he propose to mr stevens that they carry the strong box to his private room no for that would give the thief a chance to escape if he chose through the library window the same thing might occur if he enticed mr stevens from the room and told him the story winters might suspect was undoubtedly armed and ready for any desperate action all these thoughts flashed through theodore's brain while mr stevens was reading down one page and ere the leaf was turned he had decided on his plan of action mr stevens he said speaking in his usual tone and rising as he spoke i have a little matter of business just around the corner from here which i think i will attend to while you are reading those papers mr stevens glanced up and laughed i will recommend you for one of the night police he said gaily you have business at all hours of the night in all imaginable places meantime theodore had been taking the position of the strong box and decided that he could get a nearer view of it without exciting the suspicion of winters in the closet it was as he feared unlocked and empty now at all hazards the thief must not be suffered to escape i will take your night key mr stevens said theodore quietly and let myself in without ringing on my return a moment more and he stood alone on the granite steps the night was still and gloomy the moon gave only a fitful glimmering now and then as it peeped from between heavy clouds the air was sharp and piercing but the young man on the steps felt in a white heat as he waited in breathless anxiety for the advent of a policeman one thing he had determined upon not to leave the steps where he stood guard over the gray-haired unsuspicious man inside there was no telling how soon winters might weary of his cramped quarters and attempt to escape by first shooting his employer would the policeman never come 
he heard steps and voices in the distance come out here old moon and give a fellow a little light on the subject what are you pouting about i'd like to know you haven't got to blunder along home in the dark this is the most extraordinary street i ever saw anyhow it keeps whirling round and turning somersaults instead of walking straight ahead like a respectable street the voice that uttered these disjointed sentences was only too well known to theodore he stepped down one step and spoke in a low tone pliny what does this mean where are you going going round like a top first on my head and then on my heels how are you poor theodore the plot thickened what should he do with this poor drunkard could he endure to let him stagger to his home to that waiting sister in this condition a shrill sharp merry whistle broke at this moment on his ear that voice he knew too and waited until its owner came up then addressed him still in low tones tommy where are you going going home been to a fire whole block burned down by the square mr stewart's house and theodore checked his valuable information have you seen anything of macpherson yes sir he was at the fire too just whisked around the corner below here to go to his rooms we came up together theodore's listening ear caught the sound of an approaching policeman and he hastened his plans pliny had sunk down on the steps and was muttering to himself in drunken broken sentences tommy said theodore addressing that individual there are empty carriages coming around the corner the train is in will you take this young man in a carriage drive to macpherson's door and tell him to drive to my rooms with you and make this gentleman comfortable until i come can i trust you tommy yes sir every time tommy answered proudly the policeman came up what's all this he asked gruffly theodore turned to him and spoke a few words in a low rapid tone and he moved hastily away then theodore came back to pliny will you go and spend the night with me at my rooms pliny he asked gently well said pliny trying to rouse himself from his half stupor i did promise dorolinda morinda that i'd come home but seeing the street has taken such a confounded notion to go round and round why i guess she will excuse me and i'll oblige you this boy will call a carriage for you and make you comfortable and i will be with you as soon as possible i have a little business first he gave a little shiver of relief as he saw pliny stagger away quietly with tommy all this time and indeed it was but a very little time although it seemed hours to the young man whose every nerve was in a quiver his ear had been strained ready for the slightest sound that might occur in the room over which he was keeping guard but the utmost quiet reigned winters evidently suspected nothing and was biding his time the villain means to escape hanging if he can muttered theodore under his breath and now the dim moonlight showed the tall forms of three policemen approaching he advanced and held a brief whispered conversation with them then the four ascended the steps theodore applied his night key 
and with cat-like tread they moved across the hall, and the library door swung noiselessly open. They were fairly inside the room before Mr. Stevens, intent upon his papers, observed them. When he did, he sprang to his feet with a face on which surprise, bewilderment, and consternation contended for the mastery. Theodore! he gasped rather than said, and it was Mr. Stevens's sorrow ever after that for one little moment he believed that his almost son had proved false to him. The next, the whole story stood revealed. From the moment that Mr. Stevens uttered his exclamation, all attempt at quietness was laid aside. A policeman strode across the room, flung wide the closet door, and said to the cowed and shivering mortal hiding therein, "'You are my prisoner, sir,' and from his pocket produced the handcuffs and proceeded to adjust them, while another disarmed him. Theodore went over and stood beside the grey-haired startled man. "'Don't be alarmed, sir,' he said gently and quietly. "'The danger is quite over now. His pockets must be searched.' This to the policeman." He has twenty thousand dollars about him somewhere that belong to us. My boy, said Mr. Stevens tremulously and with utmost tenderness in his tones, what does this all mean? How did you learn of it? By a special providence, I believe, sir, answered Theodore reverently. Meantime, the packages of money were found and in order. "'Have you special directions, sir, in regard to the prisoner?' questioned the policeman. Mr. Stevens broke away from Theodore's restraining arm and went toward Winters. "'My poor, poor boy,' he said compassionately. "'How could you do it?' Winters' eyes expressed nothing but malignancy as he muttered between shut teeth, "'Because I hate you and that upstart who hoodwinks you.' Theodore came forward with quiet dignity. "'Mr. Stevens,' he said, laying a gently detaining hand on the gentleman's arm, "'let me manage the rest of the business for you. You are excited and weary. Secure the man in safe and comfortable quarters for the night,' he added, turning to the policeman, "'and you will hear from Mr. Stevens in the morning.' Five minutes more, and Theodore and Mr. Stevens were left alone in the library. "'No explanations tonight,' said Theodore, with an attempt at playfulness, as the other turned toward him with eager, questioning eyes. "'I withdraw my prohibition, sir, as regards the papers, and will permit you to retire at once.' "'One word, Theodore, about the point that troubles me the most. What shall we do with the poor young man?' Theodore's face darkened. "'The very utmost that the law allows,' he said sternly. "'He deserves it all. If you desire my advice on that point, I should say—' Mr. Stevens interrupted him, laying a quiet hand on his arm and speaking gently. "'My boy, suppose you and I kneel down here and pray for him.' All the heat and anger died out of Theodore's face— he remembered the midnight interview which took place years before in that very room when Mr. Stevens was the judge and he himself the culprit. He remembered at that time Mr. Stevens had knelt down and prayed for him. 
reverently now he knelt beside the noble-hearted man and heard him pour out his soul in prayer for the poor boy who had tried so hard to injure him when they arose he turned quiet smiling eyes on his young friend as he said my dear boy can you advise me now you do not need advice sir said theodore speaking somewhat huskily and with a reverent touch in his voice follow the dictates of your own noble soul in this as in everything and you will be sure to do the best thing it was two o'clock when theodore applied his own night key and entered his front door the gas was still lighted in the back parlor and thither he went it was not the back parlor that belonged to the little cottage house near the depot not the same house at all but one larger and finer and on a handsomer street the back parlor was nicely even luxuriously furnished with that dainty mixture of elegance and home comfort which betokens a refined and cultivated taste winnie had grown into a tall young lady with coils of smooth brown hair in place of the crisp locks of her childhood her crimson dress set off her clear dark complexion to advantage the round table was drawn directly under the gaslight and she sat before it surrounded by many beautiful books and writing material she glanced up at theodore's entrance and he addressed her in grave business-like tones winnie do you know it is two o'clock you should not study so late at night under any circumstances you should not perambulate the streets until morning and then you would have no knowledge of my misdemeanors answered winnie in exactly the same tone and added what poor drunken wretch have you and jim in train to-night is jim here said theodore eagerly yes and has been for an hour he stumbled upstairs with a poor victim who was unable to walk and domiciled him in your room remarkable company you seem to keep mr mallory who is the creature the heir of hastings hall said theodore briefly and sadly winnie looked both startled and shocked oh theodore not pliny hastings yes pliny hastings the admiration of half the young ladies in the city and they are industriously helping him to be what he is good night winnie don't for pity's sake study any later and theodore ran lightly upstairs and entered his own room on tiptoe the room was utterly unlike toad mall's early dream no square of red and green and yellow carpet adorned the spot in front of the bed instead a soft thick carpet of mossy green covered the floor and theodore had pleased himself in gathering many a dainty trifle with which to beautify this one room that he called home tonight the drop light was carefully shaded and in the dimness theodore had to look twice before he distinguished macpherson mounted on guard in the rocking-chair beside the bed while on it lay sunken in heavy sleep pliny hastings well was theodore's brief greeting yes was jim's equally laconic reply what did you think had become of me that i could not attend to my own business asked theodore dropping wearily into the nearest chair tommy said you were putting three policemen in jail or something 
it was something sure enough answered theodore smiling faintly and then he gave a rapid and condensed account of the midnight scene interrupted by many exclamations of horror and amaze from his listener had you much trouble in this quarter he asked presently going to the bedside and looking long and earnestly at pliny very little tommy had some difficulty before they reached me but he is a plucky little chap and was firmly resolved upon carrying out your instructions to the letter so he gained the day isn't it remarkable that he should have been the one to assist in the rescue of mr hastings's son isn't it said theodore emphatically and mr hastings would not lift one finger to assist in his rescue what in the world are you going to do next said jim in this case i mean nodding his head toward pliny going to keep on doing and when i have done all that i can give myself up to patient waiting and hopeful praying was theodore's solemn answer when he spoke again it was in a slightly hesitating tone with a glance at his watch there is just one thing more which ought to be done to-night jim all right said jim promptly there's no special use in going to bed to-night or rather this morning too late to pay so bring on your business what comes next they ought to know at hastings hall where this young man is ho said jim with an astonished and incredulous air i don't imagine there will be many sleepless eyes in that house if they don't hear of his whereabouts until he appears again i fancy they are too much accustomed to it there is one member of the family who will wait for him nevertheless who his sister he remembered it himself as bad as he was jim looked searchingly at the half-averted face of his friend for a moment then seeming to have come to some conclusion arose and began to don his overcoat then if i understand you mallory you think that his sister ought to be apprised of his safety and you judge it would be well if possible to do so without disturbing any other members of the family this he said after having waited a moment in vain for his friend to speak again theodore turned toward him and eagerly grasped his hand as he spoke you understand everything my dear fellow better than i can tell it god bless you for your kindness and thoughtfulness End of chapter 21